Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you. Father, you're a good God. Your mercy endures forever. What a day, O oh Lord. When the world calls All Fool's Day. Father, you said, O oh Lord, the foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. And we just confess that, O oh Lord. We might be fools for, for believing in the resurrection. But Lord, we know, Father, what is foolish in the sight of God, in the sight of man, is power in the sight of God. And you said, O oh Lord, Father, in your word, that you choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of this world. And the weak things, the base things to bring to nothing, the things that are strong and mighty. O Lord, enable us to be a part of those fools, O Lord, who are fools for your sake. O Father, and let your light and your power shine through us, O Lord, that when people see us, they they will know, Father, that it is not us, it is the power of God through us. Thank you, Father. And even as we meditate upon your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, that you would anoint us. Cleanse me, cleanse each one of us, and continue to cleanse us by the washing of water by the word. By faith, we apply the blood of Jesus over our lives and over our ears, that you would open the ears of our heart and the eyes of our heart to see and to hear what you have for us in this last hour of time. Commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Albert Einstein was called to a um, a function in a school. So, to give a speech, and a bunch of students were waiting, and um, they were all sitting and waiting for the speech, and uh, they invited Albert Einstein to come to the dais, and uh, Albert Einstein... Uh, came to the podium and he said, waited for a few minutes and he said, I have nothing to say to you. And he sat down. And after a while he got up and he came to the podium again and he said, just give me five months time. I'll come back and I'll have something to say to you. The reason why I'm saying that is, I have nothing to say except that God gives me anything. And the thing is that today is the first time I'm preaching on a resurrection Sunday. I heard a man of God who said, this is my 55th resurrection Sunday message. (laughs) And he got up and he said, just like Albert Einstein, I have nothing to say to you because I've said it all. But the fact of the matter is, even though I'm standing for the first time before you, (laughs) I have nothing to say except that God gives me. Resurrection Sunday the first time in my life. So pray for me and pray for yourselves as well. So let us see what God has for us. I'm, st- I'm going uh, t- to, I've titled today's message as um, His Resurrection and My Life. His Resurrection and My Life. And it's not a coincidence that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And I think it's happened for the first time in 11 years that we also have communion this Sunday. 
possibly second or third time maybe, I'm not sure, but very rarely we do, we have both on the same day. His resurrection and my life. We'll begin with a question. This is found in Job, Job 14, 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal shall come. Another translation. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. That was Job and that's the song that we sang, the first song, I know my Redeemer lives. The question is, everybody by the way, irrespective of religious background, all of them except the atheists, if I'm right, they believe, they want to know what happens when a man dies, what happens life after death? What happens? Jesus has a very clear answer. Okay, very, very clear answer. This is what he has to say. In John's Gospel chapter 5, a kind of an answer to Job's question. John's Gospel chapter 5 verses 28 to 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. All who are in the grave, irrespective of religious background, whether a Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. All who are in the grave will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation or condemnation. So, we all are going to live for eternity. And let me tell you something. When we enter into eternity, our consciousness, our soul will go into eternity with all our memory and everything. We will know each other. That's what happened to Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man knew Lazarus. The rich man not only knew Lazarus, he also knew Abraham. So you will recognize our forefathers. We have a consciousness. Lazarus knew the rich man. Abraham knew the rich man Everybody will know one another. That's a small glimpse that God gives about eternity. And so we will live forever. But the problem is, where would would we live? That is a question. So in the book of Acts, in one of the places which I'm going to use as as uh, as a launch pad for today's message, where Paul, he goes to Athens. And then he looks at the entire city and he looks at the idolatry of the place and his, and his spirit is stirred within him and he goes to the marketplace and he starts arguing with those people. And a lot of Epicureans and Stoics and all the philosophers, they listen to this all and Paul uh, and they say, boy, this guy is giving some new gyan, nice, interesting thoughts and ideas. We're all searching for truth and he's also talking about truth. Let's, let's see what he's got to say to us. And so we know the famous sermon on Mars Hill and to the end of the sermon this is what Paul says to all of them who are searching for truth. This is what he has to say. Acts chapter 17 verses 29 onwards. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness 
He doesn't stop there. How is he going to judge the world? He is going to judge the world by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of all this, of this to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, he was telling all of these guys, you're searching for the truth, right? He rose from the dead. Your search is over. You see? You see, the point is this. As long as we are searching for truth, and you say, you are searching, I'm searching, you are in the process. No, you can live the way you want, I can live the way I want, we can, we are not really accountable at, at all, but once we come to the point where we say the search is over, then everything that we do, we will be accountable. So what happened? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, What happened? Some mocked. While some others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Give us some time. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined and believed. Let me tell you something. Even today, in the church of God, there are three categories of people who will listen to any sermon. Because every sermon, we talk about resurrection. I mean, just specifically, this, this day we, we specifically talk about it in more detail probably. But every sermon is about Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection. And there are always three responses. The first response, some mock, scoff, scorn, they're indifferent. It's a very interesting word. In the Greek, what did the word mock? It's actually, you know, misrepresent the act in a way that is not in conformity to the truth that they have supposedly agreed upon. You see? Like for example, you made a mockery. What does that mean? You know, for example, the Austria, uh, Gilchrist's famous statement after uh, the entire uh, fiasco that happened after uh, uh, the ball tampering, if you know what, what is going on, if you follow test cricket, if for those of people who don't know test cricket, doesn't matter, there is something called as test cricket. Okay? Test cricket. They play with red ball and also nowadays with the pink ball, just in case. They did this ball tampering thing and Bill Kilchrist made a fantastic statement. He said, they made a mockery of the Australian spirit. What the Australians stand for, they made a mockery of it. They were misrepresenting Australia. That is what it means. Some mocked. Some said, you know what? Give us some time, please. We don't read. We are not ready yet. Some joined. And some believed. So I'm going to just talk about few truths about the resurrection. What the resurrection of Jesus' Jesus meant, what it the truth, what is the truth that it conveys? And in the light of that. If we are mocking, or are we saying, give us, give me some time, Jesus? Or are we believing? Are we amongst the mockers, the procrastinators, or the believers? Look at this. Let's look at the first truth. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as some, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, there is a resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is risen from the dead. 
This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the famous chapter on the resurrection. And then he says, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Meaning, positively, if Christ has been risen from the dead, you are not in your sins. And the greatest need of mankind. You know what it is? It is a need for what is the need for? Forgiveness. I'll tell you something. Why don't we have joy in our heart when we come to the house of God? Most often, I mean it's my own personal experience. I'm not I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for myself. Okay. I'm not don't you don't have to include yourself if you uh, with me if you don't belong to that category. Most often when I come to the house of God and I'm not worshipping, primarily it is because I fell short through the week. And I have a sense of guilt. And therefore, you know, this is not real joy because after all, there is only freedom when the guilt is removed. We know that. I'm going to read an interesting confession. Guess who said this. Okay? Let's read some confession. Okay? See who said this. Let us see your general knowledge if you're up to date. I'll do everything I can to make up for the, for my mistake and the damage that it has caused. I know I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I'm absolutely gutted. I hope in time I can earn back respect and forgiveness. Who said this? Somebody said something? Huh? Who did that? Any answers? Loudly. Hey, who said that? Stevens? Oh my goodness, look at this girl. Girls know test cricket better than men. Shame on us men. Who said that? Stephen Smith's recent confession. It was not Augustine's confession. It was Stephen Smith's confession. And he was absolutely devastated. And he was crying. And he was said, I hope in time I can earn back respect and forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Yes, respect and trust you have to earn. But forgiveness... Never. No amount of work that you do, you will never be able to earn your forgiveness. Stephen Smith, this is messages to you. You know, when Australians get caught, some of the people who have animosity against Australia, they will come out with some interesting analysis. And one such analysis was in one of the editors of Cricket Info. He wrote an article and he said, what if Stephen Smith was not caught. And his entire thing about ball tampering was not known. Would he have repented the way he has repented? Would he say, oh no guys, we made a mistake. If he would have won the, won the match, he was killed. You know, his guilt, is, his, his, his conscience is bothering him. Would he go to the media and cry and say, oh no, you know what? We tampered the ball and won the match. Would he say that? Would he say that? You know, and that guy said, he had a point. He said, I don't think so, knowing Australians. They'll do anything for winning a match. See, Jeremiah has a very interesting word to say about these people. 
these kinds of people. I'm not, I'm just taking Stephen Smith an example, as an example. Maybe he's really repenting. We'll pray for him that he'll come out of this. But look at this. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 26. It, it captures the psyche and the deception and the mockery of the human heart in a fantastic verse. It says in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 26. As the thief is ashamed when he's caught, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets meaning. <laughs> but when you are not durgified, even Donga is a Dura. You see. For those people who don't understand Telugu, let me translate it. If you are caught, then you are a thief. As long as you are not caught, you are still a noble man. You are still a noble man. You see, there's so many people. Only when they're caught, they respond. And you know what they're saying? You, so, you know what? Yes, I'm caught. Let me do something to earn my forgiveness. You know what God says? You can never, never earn forgiveness. Never. Your sin has an infinite cost that has to be paid. Nothing is possible. No amount of work that you do will take away the guilt of your sin. So greatest need, I'll tell you something, the greatest need of human humanity is the need for forgiveness. Look at this in, incredible passage, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, like Pastor James has us, Acts 16, I have my Luke 5. This is my one of my favorite, favorite passages because I relate to it a lot. This is Luke's, Luke's Gospel chapter 5. Now this this is a guy when Jesus was preaching in one of the in one of the places um, those Pharisees and the Sadducees they were coming and taking notes there was a huge crowd they were all listening to Jesus and there was a guy who's paralyzed and he didn't want to come to church so his four, he, didn't, he didn't know how to come to church so his friends brought him in a remember in a bed and when they saw that that the crowd was there you know what they did they broke open the roof and they and they lowered him from the the rooftop. And Jesus makes a very fantastic statement. Look at what he says. This is in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 verse 20. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, I, I, was, I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking about it. See, when Jesus opens his mouth, he doesn't use sentences randomly or even for shock value or for attention value. No. He knows precisely what that person needs. For the rich young ruler, he will say, you know what? Give off your wealth and come after me. Zacchaeus, he will not even say a word. Zacchaeus will do what his heart's conviction is. He will, he will ask Bartholomew, what do you, I mean, Barthimas, what do you want? He will ask people what they want and he will, and he will speak exactly. Some people wanted to come and follow Jesus. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. You want to come? Another guy said, oh, Lord, I'll come to you. Let me just uh, bury my father and mother. Let the dead bury the dead. Oh, let me just say farewell to all my people. He said, no man who puts his hands on the plow and turns back his foot for the kingdom of heaven. So he was very precise when he, when he used words. He never used words for shock value. And he looks at this guy and he says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. And I, I, I look at this. Now I was thinking about, thinking about this statement. Why did this guy not want to come to church? I believe that this guy was absolutely paralyzed by guilt. He said, you know what? Forget it, man. My guilt is too much. Nobody can save me. I've sinned so much against God, I don't think that I, that God can see me and say, you know what, I'll do a miracle for you. And he looks at this guy who's paralyzed by guilt. 
looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Suddenly the religious class will get upset. They said, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then look at what Jesus says. But Jesus, when he perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and walk? Your answer? Rise up and walk is your answer. Why? You see, you know, it's, it's very interesting when one guy, one guy is caught in the act. The entire nation is hurt. And for them to really forgive, it's a traumatic experience. They can't forgive. It's, it's difficult. Especially Australians when they're, when the kind of game that they, that they play. It's very, very, very difficult for anybody to overlook somebody else's fault. One of the most difficult things for any man or any woman or any son or, or, or any, uh, or any uh, little one is to extend forgiveness and to overlook some other's fault. You know from your own experience. Is it easy for you to forgive? No. Is it easy for wives to forgive their husbands? No, not easy. Is it easy for a husband to forgive his wife? No, I mean, I was one guy, I, I, sometime back I was, I think even Eric was telling about this. There's one guy who was celebrating his uh, 75th uh, wedding anniversary, a hundred year old guy, his, both his wife and wife and uh, husband are alive and BBC, this was in England, 75 years of marriage and the entire nation was, boy, how did you live together? And then the interviewer asked this question to the, uh, to the husband, he said, 75 years of your marriage, did you never get the thought of divorce in your mind? He looked at them and he said, divorce, <laughs> never, murder, often. know it, right? I mean, come on, honestly, wives. Don't you want to beat up your husband sometimes? Yeah. Oh, wish, Lord, I could just... It's not easy to forgive saints. It's not easy. Especially in the closest of relationships. You know why? In the closest of relationships, the expectations are very high. Now, I say something to my wife and somebody else says something to my wife. There's a total different ballgame altogether. The way she perceives my appraisal of her and somebody else's appraisal is totally different. It's a completely different ballgame. And you know what Jesus says? I bore you. I birthed you in my own image and you sin against me. You think it's easy for me to forgive you. You know what? It cost, it will cost my own life to forgive you. And he's asking those people, what is easy? Easy to, to say your problems are solved. Or to pick up your mat and, or your sins are forgiven. The most difficult thing is to say, your sins are forgiven. Because that will, that will make me and cause me to overlook every offense, past, present and future. But thank God, the resurrection of Jesus purchased the forgiveness for my sin. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 4 verse 25 and chapter 5 verse 1. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because or for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the first 
word. When the disciples are gathered together and Jesus comes into that place, what is the first word that he speaks into their, into their lives? You know what he says? This is John's gospel chapter 20 verse 19. Then on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace! Wow! Forgive me. I don't hold any of your shortcomings against you. All your sins. I bore, I bore them. Peace. You know, I, I'm not sure how many of you here in this place, from time to time, paralyzed by guilt. The past keeps coming back to you over and over and over again and you can't progress one step with God because you're absolutely full of guilt. Is there anyone among you? God says today, peace. Peace. Isn't it interesting? When everything was shut, Jesus appeared in his body. You know what that means? Jesus in his resurrection power can come to every situation in your life and meet your need no matter how bleak or how strong the doors are shut. He can come there right in the middle and give you peace. That's exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. Right in the middle where it was an impregnable prison. Right there. Stood beside them. Give them peace. He can enter. This morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe? Do you need forgiveness of your sins? Do you have a constant cry in your heart? Lord, my sin, my sin. You know that song, it is well with my soul. He says, my sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. And he says, he says, my sin, and he stops, he gives, gives a pause over there, and he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, was it for crimes that I have done that he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. All the burdens of my heart have been rolled away. And today, this morning, this morning, if you need forgiveness, God says, you know, the first thing, he says, peace, peace. But there are always, as I said, three responses. What are the three responses? Some mock. Some say, give me some time. Some believe. How do we, how do we mock? 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That's what it means. You know, that's exactly what happened to the Australian team, you see. They were caught in the act. You know, one guy, one commenter was saying, they, they seemed very, 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 I mean, I, they thought that they were good because they just came and openly confessed their crime. But did they have a choice? They did not. Because the entire world's camera was looking. It's amazing. They were caught in the act. Will we wait till the time that we are caught in the act? 
Or is the, is the Holy Spirit probing something in your life that you have done? Something that in, in your life that you have done? Some mock. What will some people do? Ask me. They will say, give me some time. You know what Jesus says, tells those people? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, when? Today. If you hear his voice. Not tomorrow. Not after lunch. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. Now. Don't say tomorrow. Just me some time. No, I, I, I need to get my thoughts in order. It's very difficult. And some people believe. You know what is the characteristic? How do I know I believed? How do I know I believed? I'll tell you how I know I believed. I'll tell you how I know I believed. This is found in Matthew chapter 18. You know how I believed? Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to 70 times? Uh, uh, seven times? I mean, you said perfect number, seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And she says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his or her heart uh, does not forgive his brother his sins. God will also not forgive you. Don't withhold forgiveness today. If you really believe that you've been forgiven, open forgiveness to everybody. You know, there's one power that we all possess. You know what is that power? The resurrection power. Once the resurrection power comes into our heart, the one power that we all possess is to freely forgive everybody. I don't have to say that. Let, let Proverbs chapter 3 speak to you. This is Proverbs chapter 3, one of my favorite Proverbs chapter. This is what he says. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in the power of your hand to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. In other words, wait, wait, let me see how you will behave. Today, tomorrow, day after one week, I will observe consistently if you are doing, I will forgive, okay? How many of you say that? Even to your children? Wait, 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 wait. You know, God damn it never says that. You see, he said he, he never wait, waited for the prodigal son to come and behave. You see. He says, freely. From his heart. If you need forgiveness this morning, God is saying, you know what? Let go. It's not worth it. Don't mock God and say, you know what, I have never sinned. You know, who are those people who who never extend forgiveness or those people who think that they have never done wrong and don't know, they don't need forgiveness. That is the reason why they withhold forgiveness from others. You see? Don't be among them this morning. Second, second truth about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14 onwards. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty Your faith is also empty. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Your faith is empty. Your faith is futile. In other words, if Christ has not risen from the dead, your faith is futile. Or in other words, if Christ has risen from the dead, your faith is not futile. What does it mean? What does it mean? Let me tell you what it means. One man of God puts it beautifully. This is what he says. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, he can be trusted. What does it mean? 
every one of us deep down inside of our heart, we have a need to have lasting relationships. You see? We are all made for that. We want people whom we can trust all the time. How many of you want really people? That's the reason why you know most of the time we, we look for full fulfillment in the other in marriage or any other relationship or career, maybe whatever it is. We are looking for fulfillment in some in a relationship because we are expecting that person that we can always trust, but we can be we, we can be vulnerable, we can be open, we can be ourselves. We're all looking for that. That's how we've been made. But God, you know, this is Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter one. I'm just going to expound upon this, the, the principle behind it. This is first Second Corinthians chapter one. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we are burdened beyond measure about strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not what trust in ourselves or anybody who is with us to rescue us, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does, and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. We, that means it's talking about a faith in the living God. John's Gospel chapter 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, trust me. I rose from the dead. Trust me. Don't trust in any other relationship. No other relationship is worthy of this. Luke's gospel chapter 9 verses 59 and 60. Follow me, he said. And that guy said, let the dead, he said, let me go and bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. What does it mean? Every other relationship is going to, is going to fail you. I heard a very interesting illustration about this uh, in one of Sundakrishna's messages. How many of you know Alfred Hitchcock? Anybody who knows Alfred Hitchcock? Oh. Raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> good Jew. He wrote, he wrote a series of uh, crime thrillers, okay? And um, one of the thrillers was made into a television series. I think the title of the television series was The Final Escape. In this uh, story, this, girl, this woman is caught in a particular... Uh, crime and she is jailed and she is desperate to get out of jail so what does she do in that prison there is another prisoner who is the prison doctor, he is also a doctor he is also a prisoner so because he offers good behavior they uh, entrust him with, with the patients in the prison so she befriends him, she becomes nice to him and over a period of time they begin to develop a relationship and they trust, I mean, so this guy begins to trust in her. This prison doctor is also in charge of burying the dead prisoners in the prison. So what does he do? Whenever a prisoner is dead, there is a church within the, there is a chapel within the prison uh, uh, whatever uh, campus prison campus, okay, uh, which which goes off, indicating that somebody died. So this doctor goes and puts the dead body into the coffin and he goes, goes to the, he has permission to go outside the prison to the graveyard and to bury the dead body and come back. That's his, that's his job. So over a period of time, this lady and this doctor, they develop a relationship. And then, one day, she has a 
fantastic idea. She says, Doc, I know you need money to get out of prison. You help me to get out of prison and I'll get you the money. The doc says, okay, what should I do? Do one thing. The next time somebody dies, give me a signal or rather give me a way that I can go and sleep in the, in the coffin. Take me outside, bury me and after everything is done, come back in a secluded moment and release me and I promise you that I will reward you. Then the doctor said, fantastic idea. So wait when you hear the next time when you hear the church bell ringing, wait for that. Take that as a signal. I'll get you the uh, get you the master key. You can go into the get to the coffin area and you can sleep in that coffin. Don't worry about it. So she he gets a copy of the master key and she's waiting and waiting and waiting and a few weeks and a month and then then she hears tang 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 and she realizes somebody died. So that night she opens the prison and she goes slowly, she sneaks out, she goes into the place where the coffins are laid, absolutely pitch dark, she takes the master key, opens it, gets into the coffin and sleeps next to the dead body, it's absolutely pitch dark and the, and uh, she sleeps off, the next day morning, the coffin, they take the coffin, they go to the graveyard and the Burying is done and now she's waiting with excitement. Now this guy is going to come and he's going to release me. Minutes to hours, hours to several hours and this guy is not coming and she's feeling suffocated and she's almost going to die. And then she's like groping and groping and then she finds a matchbox in the dead body's pocket and he, she takes the matchbox and she lights the match and she and the whole coffin lights up and she's sees somebody dead next to him and you know who that is the doctor okay moral of the story whom would you rather trust the guy who is risen from the dead or a guy who is going to die next to you in the coffin. You see, what is, he, what is God trying to tell us? He's saying, you know what, every relationship you trust apart from me, it will only bring death to you. It's never going to be able to resurrect you. Never. Every relationship, you, you want to trust in your husband, he's going to die. Albeit buried next to you. I don't know. Because people have a sentimental thing. I should be buried next to my husband. Forever and ever we will be together. He's not going to do that. He's not going to resurrect you. Your, your wife cannot resurrect you. Every other person, he is going to die and if you put your hope in that person and let me tell you something, that's exactly what he's saying he's saying if Jesus Christ does not rise from the dead, our faith is futile you don't have any person to trust our faith is futile we are absolutely in our sins and Jesus is saying leave the dead 
to bury their dead, come and follow me. And let me tell you something for some young people over here. You are in relationship and that is a relationship you have exalted about the relationship of, of God and that is only going to bring death into your life. And it's going to lie next to your coffin. It will promise you a lot. Deliver nothing. Because dead people can't help you, can they? That is the reason why it's a faith in the living God. So what happens? Three responses. What are they? Some people mock. Some people procrastinate. Some people believe. Look at what it says in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. If you are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I put these two together. Why? All the disciples were absolutely faithless. They were absolutely dead. Dead in their trespasses. That's exactly what Ephesians will say. When you were dead in your trespasses, God raised you out out of that. How? By the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he not only raised you from the dead, he made you to sit together with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ. Even though they were absolutely faithless, he still comes and stands by them. You know why? He says, you know what? You don't even, I didn't have to open the door. I mean, the tombs. I can pass through for all those people who love science fiction movies, I don't know how he did that. Maybe he created a wormhole. I don't know. You remember Star Trek? <laughs> he had, had a fabric in space and time and he just went across. I don't know. Resurrected body, he has the ability to go anywhere. Even death can't stop him. He says, you know what? Even if you are faithless, he will still remain faithful. So what do we do? Don't put God to the test. That's how, that's how people mock. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed. What did they do? Okay, Christ, you rose from the dead, right? Okay, fine, fine. I have problem with my finances. Can you meet? That's not the reason. Okay, I'll take a loan. I, I, I mean, this is what it, many people do. God told me that I will have a car. So how do you get it? Take a loan, buy a car. God told you to take a loan and buy a car. Unbelievable. How can God, who said, don't owe any man anything except for the debt of love, ask you to take a debt and buy a car? God told me. They take the loan, they buy the car, and one day you know what happens? The bankers come home. What happens to Israelite? That's how people mock God. You know, many Christians, they have, this is how they mock God. That's how they put God, Christ to the test. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor to the, by the way of the Red Sea to go around and to the, the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on, the, discouraged on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
for there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless. Can you imagine? They call manna worthless bread. The NIV translation. They mock. Man shall live, not, not live by bread alone, but by every word that, the, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you believe that? They put God to the test. Some people say, you know what, give me some time. This is what they say. He says, Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me get settled. Let me get settled, Lord. Let me earn some sufficient money. Let me have a bank balance to back me up. Just in case all this fails. Something to back back myself with. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. No one. Don't procrastinate. But some believe, right? So what do you do? Give it all and go to God. Why? John's Gospel chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also shall live. Don't worry, I'll be there with you. Don't trust in any other relation. I don't know. One of the things that I've, I, I, I have to keep on telling our generation, doesn't matter. You know, like pastor was talking about three kinds of marriages. We have the love marriage where you're slave to the other person. See? In other words, that, that other person's approval is all that matters to you. You know, I remember Tim Keller was telling about this um, <laughs> in one of his sermons. He says, uh, after I preach the sermon, this is what I want. I don't care about how the congregation feels about my sermon, but I want to know how my wife felt about my sermon. If she says it is good, I know it was good. If she said it was bad or okay, then you know, the approval of my wife is absolutely important. And one day her wife came to her and came to him and said, you know what? Tim, don't put so much of pressure upon me. Please. Don't put pressure upon me like that. See, a lot of us, that's what, we put pressure upon our children. Why? Because we failed and we want our children to live our life through them. But they may have a completely different purpose. God might have called them for a completely different thing. Are you ready to release them? You see? You just hold on. This is what Isaiah triple two will say. This is triple six and triple two. Isaiah chapter two verse twenty two. Seize you from man whose breath is in his where? Nostrils for what account is he? You see? Many people just holding on to relationships. That's exactly what happened to Jacob. Holding on to Rachel. He can do anything for Rachel. What is that anything? He can bear the weight of three extra weddings and marriages for Rachel. Absolutely broken at the end of it because his hope was in Rachel and that lady didn't even love his God. Or what use? Okay. Seize you from man this day, saints. Believe. God, it's only you. You and you alone can satisfy my relationship. No, my cravings in my relationship, relationship, nobody else can satisfy, only God. 
only God. Not your husband, not your wife, not your children. It is only God who can satisfy the deepmost cravings of your heart. That's what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman. If you ask me for that water, I will give you that living water and it will become a well springing out from you. And you will thirst no more and you will be hungry no more. Every other relationship is short-circuited and that is the reason why he rose from the dead. So that we can have a trustworthy person, a person whom you can have a relationship for all of our life, who will always be there for us, who will never leave us, not forsake us. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus, all of griefs and sins to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? He will all your sorrow share. Jesus knows your every weakness you will find your solace there. Only there. Nowhere else. Okay. That is the second thing about, about resurrection. And the third, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Another translation. If in this life only, this is the KJV, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know something very interesting. Christians have only two categories. Either they are the most envied people or the, what is the other option? Most miserable people. Nothing in between. And therefore, you want to find the most envied people, look among Christians. Okay? You'll find the most envied people. Find You want to find the most miserable people, where should you look? Among Christians. You see? The most pitied and the most envied are among Christians. When I look at the life of Paul, I said, boy, this guy, don't you envy that life? Doesn't it drive you to jealousy? What kind of a man is this, Lord? How can he think so straight under pressure? Under pressure, he can think thoughts which are so cogent. He never, he doesn't fear at all. How can he think like that, Lord? How can he be so on his feet? How can he be so absolutely connected to you all the time? I don't see any time he's depressed. How can you see? The most envied, do you see the most envied? And you also find among Christians the most miserable. I tell you why. Because God has done us, wired us that way. If you don't find satisfaction in God, you will be among the most miserable people. And Christ rose from the dead not to make us the most miserable, but to make us the most what? Envied. But why do we become most miserable? He says, he gives us a clue. If only where? In this life we have hope in Christ. Then of all the people we are most miserable. What does it mean? Let me tell you what it means. Luke's Gospel chapter 24. This is a story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about resurrection. Luke's Gospel chapter 24. Everybody knows this. This is a story on the road to Emmaus. Verse 13 onwards. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, and which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Why were their eyes restrained? 
Jesus is walking next to you. Isn't it interesting? Where two or three are gathered in my name, where is he? He's there in the midst of us. Two people, Cleophas and the other guy. What does scripture say? Where two people are walking together, the resurrected Christ will always be there with you. That is what it means. He's there. But could they see him? Question. We are more than three. According to scripture, Jesus is here. Can you see him? Can you see him? If I were to ask this question to anyone, each one of us, do I sense the presence of God in the sanctuary this morning? Or did I just come because it's a habit and especially on Easter Sunday I have to go because special service, special dinner, sorry, lunch. Do you sense the presence of God here? You know, that's exactly what happened to them. Their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. And their knees, and you need to ask every time you look at this passage, you should ask this question. Lord, you said where two or three are gathered in my name, you will be there in your, in their presence and we can, in their midst and we can sense your presence. How is it that their eyes were restrained? How is it that their eyes were restrained? I'll tell you why were their eyes were restrained. This is what my perception and understanding is. Let's read on. And he said to them, what are these things that you are talking among yourselves? So they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And the clue is here. The clue is here. Verse 21. But we were, we, but we were hoping that he was going to restore and redeem Israel today. Now. See. He is going to restore and redeem Israel. Now we were hoping. And what happened? Discussing. What hope we have. I pain the man jivitam bus stand. That is what Many Telugus will say when they are frustrated. You say, gone. No hope. Hallelujah. Why? You know why? You are hoping <laughs> that he is going to redeem you now with all your problems. You see? He said, you want a marriage? I'll find you a husband. No problem. What a job? Find your job. No problem. Financial problems. I will solve your financial problems. No problem. You know, when I, you know, it's a, it's a really incredible thing. We must have looked at this verse several times, uh, in, in our church because we are a well-taught church. You go outside and talk to a random Christian. Sample. Okay, just take a sample of one or two Christians and, and you tell him, you know what? If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus of all, the scripture says, we are most pitied of all men. We are the most miserable of all men. They have never seen a verse like that. Really? Really? Then, because everybody wants prosperity, 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 prosperity. Success, 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 success. You see? And I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I, I, I had a Bible study in my university sometime back. Several years back, I used to have Bible study in the university and we had all these Christian brothers from different churches. 
And the first, first Bible study, first, very first Bible study, this is the verse I had to, can I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, of all the men, we are the most miserable. And they said, brother, where is that verse? They were shocked. You know why? Their eyes were restrained. Their eyes were restrained. Closed. And Jesus tells, I'll tell you, he gives them a principle as to why their eyes were closed. Then he said to them, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not to have Christ suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me tell you something. You know what is the very first witness of the resurrection of Jesus? Tell me. Is it the eyewitness or some other witness? Let me tell you. What is the first witness of the resurrection? Any ideas? Excuse me? No, 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 no. You know, the first witness of the resurrection is the witness of the scriptures. It is not even the resurrection. That's exactly what happened to this guy who was there in the, in, 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 in hell. And he looks at this guy in Abraham's bosom and he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers. If you send Lazarus to my brothers, they will believe and they will not come, come, come here. And you know what Abraham says? They have the what? They have the law and the prophets. Oh, no, Father Abraham, no, Father Abraham. If somebody raises from the dead and tells them the gospel, they will believe. You know what he said? He says, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, if they will not even believe even if somebody raises from the dead. The first, the first witness of the resurrection is the, of of the resurrection is a witness of the scriptures. It is a witness of the scriptures. That is the reason why Paul tells in 1st Corinthians chapter 15, it says Christ died for us according to scriptures. Christ was buried according to scriptures. Christ was rose from the dead according to scriptures. It is the spirit of Christ through the prophets which was prophesying about the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent resurrection. The witness of the resurrection is the witness of the scriptures. That is the reason why when these guys come and say, this lady was married seven times <laughs> in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And he knows, he says, you err because you do not know the what? The No, 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 no. You do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. You do not know the scriptures. You err because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. The first witness is a witness of the scriptures. You know, this is very interesting, right? How do we go to the Bible? Think about it. Think about it. It, it talks about, it's actually a, it's an examination of our own heart. How do I go and read my Bible? Do I read my Bible to find a solution to my problem? Or do I read my Bible because I want to find him? Or let me put the question another way. Do you read your Bible at all? Do you read your Bible at all? Some people ask me, brother, how do you read your Bible? I'll tell you how I read my Bible. I read my Bible out of desperation. Desperation. You see, the witness of the scriptures was a first witness of the resurrection. Do you know the scriptures? Do you know the power of God? So what is the principle that is trying, that Jesus is trying to, trying to elucidate through this entire episode? The principle is found in Matthew chapter 16, 
Pastor talked about it just a few days back. What's the title of the message? Deny, pick up, follow. Okay. It's very simple. Found in Matthew chapter 16, the principle. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let him first deny himself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Why? Because whoever wants their to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will what? Save it. You know what the principle is? If you want to truly experience the resurrection power, give your life to God. Nowhere else. And let him raise from the dead. Give him your life. Give him. You know, in other words, pay now, play later. <laughs> play now, pay later. I mean, this is what the, this is the trick that parents use with their children. My dad and my mother used to say, Vijay, kashtapati chadu. Okkoroju king. Ha, piga. And I'm still waiting. You know, <laughs> there's a joke in uh, Telugu. You're saying, till 40 years, customs, problems. After 40, you'll get used to them. That's exactly, I'm approaching 40 by the way, so I'm getting <laughs> concerned about that, you see. You see, he says, when Jesus said to his disciples, this is, this is a principle here. If you really, really want to gain your life, this is a principle that even our parents teach, right? I mean, that's what my parents used to say. Give it everything. That's what I did. At least parts, not completely. I lived my life also. <laughs> and I'm paying also for that. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. Pay now. You know what many Christians want? They want happiness now, holiness after. You know what God says? Holiness now, happiness later. There's a principle here. What is, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get the principle. The principle is, and pastor was talking about how do we deny ourselves by putting duty above any other thing, right? Anything else, duty comes first, right? This is Luke's gospel chapter 17, verse 18 to 10, 8 to 10. But will he not rather say to, this is what the, uh, the servant, right? After he uh, serves his master. Will he not say rather to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Don't expect a thank you. And you will say, what a God is this? He's not going to give me any return now. I don't want to serve this God. You know, let me tell you something. What is the principle here? God is no man's debtor. You know what he's going to do if you do that? You know what he's going to do if you do that? If you do this, 
This is my promise for myself. You can appropriate it to yourself if you believe. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that what will the master do now? He will guard himself. He will make them sit down and he will come and serve. You know, I want to think about this, saints. I don't know how I serve God. My puny little ways, stupid, idiotic ways I serve God. And he says, you know what, Vijay? You serve me. And one day, in my resurrected body, I will put aside everything and I will guard myself and I will come and serve you. I don't know what that is. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. You know, we think that God is going to, he's asking for duty before. No, he says, hey, you don't know. You don't know my heart. You do it, you know. You know what you're going to get? Nobody has left father, mother, wife, children. Wealth was not received hundredfold in this life and with persecutions in life eternally, he got much more. Much more. Do you believe this? Always three options. What do you have? Some Mock. Some say, hey, hold on, give me some time. Some believe. This is what Peter has to say in First Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. I read this, you know, I get fired up. You know, when I, you read scripture meaningfully now. What he says, he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God might be glorified through Christ Jesus, who is blessed forever, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You continue to do that. You know what God, God says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have continued to show. You know, it is not one day. It is a consistent, continuous, constant walk with God. Every day of your lives. Do you believe this, my dear brothers and sisters? I'm telling you something. If you give water consistently, continuously, God sees how you give. Don't ever think that God is not watching your giving. You are faithful with your tithes and with your offerings every month. And you're saying, Lord, when is my breakthrough coming? Let me tell you something. Even if he doesn't give you the breakthrough this time, he will give you in heaven. He will come and he will serve you. He will serve you. And that will be a sight. Where the creator of the whole universe will come and serve his servants. Oh boy. You know, I think, I believe it, that would be the time when we say, Lord, 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 don't forgive, don't, 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 don't come to me, Lord, don't come to me. My crown at your feet, Lord. My crown at your feet. My crown at your feet. Morning. We have become a now generation, saints. Now. Everything, now. Abhi chahiye, aaj chahiye, otherwise, inkalab, zindabad. 
Lal Salam, Lal Salam. <laughs> they asked Kanaya of JNU. You know, you know Kanaya, not Kishan Kanaya, Kanaya. Kanaya Kumar, KK. Another KK. The one of the police guys asked him in his, in his, uh, when he was in the jail, he said, Bhaiya, ye Lal Salam, Lal Salam kya hota hai? Lal Salam, Lal Salam, matlab, inkalab, freedom, azadi. And he had a very interesting slogan. Hame Bharat se azadi nahi chahiye. Bharat me azadi chahiye. Abhi chahiye. He says, Vijay, you know, these, these are the people who have this entitlement mentality. And we have a generation which is full of people with entitlement mentality. We have to be served. God says, serve me. And I promise you, I'm going to serve you one day. I'm going to serve you. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, we'll be in a company of saints who are being served by God. And, we, and if you are a believer who just have passed through the fire and entered into glory, you'll find Jesus serving his bride. Right? That's what husbands do. They serve their wives. Only God, our eternal husband, Jesus Christ will serve his bride and the entire company of witnesses will be watching him serving us. Okay, keep at it saints. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. You've been coming to church over and over again. Every Wednesday you are there, every Bible study you are there studying and you are walking in obedience and you are saying, Lord, where Lord? Where? Problems only seem to be increasing. No breakthrough I can see. God's, I'm telling you honestly, today God is telling you, somebody here, I don't know, is waiting for a breakthrough. Maybe all of us need to know that. Continue to do what you're doing. You know what is going to happen? It is going to be a seamless intrusion of God into your life. The resurrection of power of life. A seamless intrusion of the resurrection power in your life where you see all the doors shut and Jesus will stand in your midst. A seamless intrusion of the resurrection power of life. And students, continue to work hard. Continue to work on your integrity. Continue to work on your character. Don't compromise. When you see your friends and your brothers and your whatever, your colleagues compromising, don't compromise and say, what is the use, Lord? Not in this life only, but even in eternity. Finally, my last thought. First Corinthians chapter 15. You ought to end with this, right? The favorite song that we sang today. Before we come to the table. Now this I say, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. That's what Job said. I'm just waiting to be changed. Some people say, what kind of a body will I have? The kind of seed that goes in determines the kind of tree that comes out. Am I right? Think about it. 
the kind of seed that goes in is the kind of tree that comes out but the shape of seed that goes in is not the shape of tree that comes out it is a completely transformed tree it is not the same it is not the same in a moment in a twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and this is of course talking about those people who are dead in Christ and not people who are not dead, not in Christ and we shall be what changed I don't know what that is. I'm just going to wait. It's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. It's a mystery on it's not yet revealed to us. We have to wait. That's the problem. We don't want to wait. And then look at what he says. Why? Because this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption, corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed in victory. Oh death, where is your string? Sings, oh, sting, oh Hades or hell, where is your victory? You know what that is? Death is going to be swallowed up. We die Right? We die. John Piper gives this fantastic illustration. He says, we die. We're dead. And death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Do we have an illustration of this in the old covenant? And he gives an illustration of of uh, the defeated eye. Joshua gets defeated. And I, he's on his face before God and he says, what is going on? God says, get up, deal with the sin in your camp. And this time he says, go. Go with 5,000 people before I and fall before them and draw them out. 30,000 people will be waiting and they will swallow up I. You see... I get excited. I die. Yeah, we all go through pains, right? Those days I used to run and jump like crazy. Nowadays I get up on the stairs and my knees start hurting. Oh my God. I said, already Lord, I'm still not 40. Come on, give me a break. It's just, it's, it's signs of, of, of decay. Squeaky sound sometimes when you sleep. Remember? And something got caught. And you can't, oh Lord, what is this? And that's what exactly Paul is saying. Outwardly we are perishing. But you know what's going to happen? Because of a nature that is being birthed inside of me. Because of the work of Christ. The seed that is going to go inside, when it comes out, it is going to be swallowed up in victory. Even if I die. If Christ is in you, Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite verses. If Christ is in you, even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who give rose Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. What a promise. What a promise. Death swallowed up 
in victory. You know how Jesus did that? The greatest fear, the greatest enemy was the fear of death. We have fears of every kind, but the greatest fear was the fear of death. So he said, you know what? I'm going to tackle the big giant. Bang! Death gone on the cross. Swallowed up in victory on the cross. And the fear of death is no more. You know what's going to happen? All the disciples will go to their martyrdom singing and singing and singing. Death being swallowed up in victory. Galatians chapter 6. Warning. Some what? Mocked. Some procrastinate. Some believe. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. (laughs) Okay, he is not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap that as well. For he who sows sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And therefore, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, you shall reap if you do not lose heart. And this is exactly what Jesus told the disciples. On the road to Emmaus, and this is what happens once he finishes speaking speaking to them in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he acted or indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him. He said, Lord, just don't leave, Lord. Come on now. I want you to be there with me. I want to sense your presence every time, even in my deep most moments. Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Let me tell you something. Jesus is always willing. But will we constrain him? And he went on to stay them, stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, the first communion service after the resurrection. He took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them, telling them, this is what is going to happen to you also. You give me your life. I will do what? Bless it. Give thanks. Break it. Some people at the what stage? Blessing stage. Some people in the Thanksgiving stage. Some people in the broken stage. And if you are in the broken stage, my dear brothers and sisters, God is actually making you a blessing to others. And what happens? The more you are broken, the more your eyes will be open to the resurrection witness in the scriptures. And you will tell along with Paul, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to be a partaker of his suffering so that I will also be a partaker of his glory. So that I will attain the resurrection of life. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn? As Warren B.S.B. said, symbol or the or the symptom of spiritual growth is not a big head but a burning heart and if 
I in some measure have caused your heart to burn. Today ask God and say, constrain him and say, Lord, come. Come, Lord. Come. Come, Lord. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take your life. He's going to give thanks. He's going to bless it. And he's going to break it. And he's going to make your blessing to many. As Pastor Vijay was saying, you know the if our first witness is not sure, first witness, then everything about the kingdom of God falls apart. This is the first witness. This is the first witness. If we don't know our scripture, we don't understand the kingdom of God. We'll always struggle. A problem is that we don't, it's not that we don't read scripture. We don't read scripture like we will eat during lunchtime. That this is on which my life depends. On which my life depends. That's how we eat. We eat. We are very careful about eating three times a day because we know our life, this mortal life depends on that. That's why we grumble so much about food when we don't like it because we know life is somehow connected. But God says, this is life. And if a first witness goes wrong, everything else goes wrong. The second witness, the third witness, the fourth witness, because we don't know the facts. Because these are the facts of the kingdom. So go to communion. Let me give you an example. Like those of you who follow the news. You know, there was a shooting in Parkland High School in U.S. a couple of weeks back where around 16, 17 kids were killed by a young boy who came in with an assault rifle. After that, there was a huge furor and they wanted to take the rifles off. So last Saturday, almost 500,000 young kids like you, younger than you, 14, 15-year-old, boycotted classes. They marched to Washington, D.C., and they said... Uh, Gun laws should be made straight. Guns should be taken off, which is the Second Amendment rights. Okay. Now the whole issue is a lot of people, lobbies were using young children who has emotions to get on the streets, march to Washington D.C. to take something which you are constitutionally protected. And a lot of Christians are like that. They get emotionally moved because they don't know facts. Of scripture. Okay. Now let me tell you the facts that is available for 2016 from the FBI. Around 309 people were killed by rifles. 1,600 were killed with knives. And more than that were killed with fists. So what do you do? Take the rifles, take the knives, cut your hands also off. So you didn't have your facts. When you don't know your facts, anybody can come and move your emotions and get you on the wrong track because you don't know scripture. False prophets, false teachers, false apostles cannot thrive in a set of people who know their scriptures. They thrive in the last generation because people do not have the first witness. That is the witness of scripture. So the first witness is scripture. Jesus came, lived among us according to scriptures. He died 
according to scriptures. He was buried according to scriptures. And he rose again according to scriptures. If he had risen in some other manner, scripture is broken. What if he rose on the fourth day? Lazarus is living who came out on the fourth day. Is he greater than Jesus? No. Why? Because scripture says the son of man will rise on the third day, not on the fourth day. According to scriptures. That's why we need to know our scriptures so that we don't get fooled in these last days. This is on which your and my life stands. One day we will receive the incorruptible only because we are born again by the incorruptible seed of God. That is the word of God. That's what James 1.13 says. I and you, if we are born by the incorruptible seed, one day like he pastor said, we will be a tree. We will receive immortality, incorruptible body because we are born by the incorruptible seed. This is it. This is not an add-on. This is not an add-on. This is the structure on which our life is built. And as we go more and more and more into it, we see, I need to keep on changing according to word. And we are willing to change. If we are not willing to change, then there is something terrible that is waiting for people. Like, like I said, the church can be the safest place on the earth or the most dangerous place on earth. Safest, because you hear the word of God, you listen to the word of God, you understand the word of God, and you keep making changes according to the word of God. But if the word of God is perverted from the pulpit, and you do not know the word of God, you will sit there thinking saved, and you go to hell when you die. Well, a man on the road has an option of finding a pamphlet, hearing somebody, and getting saved, while you sit here thinking you are saved, when you are not saved. So the church can be the safest place, the most dangerous place. That is why always have the witness of the scripture. Witness of the scripture. It's like coming from a sunrise service. What upsets me when I go to churches and preach is to see believers sitting and they don't know their word. It really upsets me. I'm looking at them and I'm preaching and I'm preaching and other pastors translating in Telugu. I look at them and I know they don't know their scripture. What are you putting your faith on? What is your guarantee? When you die, you will go to the other place, a prepared place. The prepared place is for a set of prepared people. The most dangerous thing you can go through life is discounting this. This is life. This is my life. This word is life. Scripture says, when you eat this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment upon him. So do you know this table that brings healing can be a table of judgment because you do not judge Christ and his body, the church. You go through the Bible, especially the New Testament. Let me tell you, you go through the New Testament, one thing you find about Jesus and the people who are brought to him. Jesus will forgive people of murder. He will forgive people of adultery. He will forgive people of stealing. He will forgive people of everything. Only one thing God does not forgive. You know what it is? He does not forgive unforgiveness. It's, it's, unforgiveness is an unforgivable sin. 
doesn't forgive unforgiveness. You need forgiveness from God, you need to forgive first. Unforgiveness is not forgiving. Therefore he says, judge yourself. Before you come to this table, the first scripture, first witness of scripture, Lord, am I holding something? You can have issues, but you cannot have, you cannot have unforgiveness. Issues are there because fundamentally we are all wired differently. Issues, yes. Issues can be dealt with. Unforgiveness is a different thing. God says, deal with that first because many people have gone weak. Many people have died. Not because somebody shot them on the streets or stabbed them on the streets. Because they partook of this, they have died. That's what scripture says. So be very, very careful. The first witness of scripture, Lord, in my heart, if I have something against, I'm holding against somebody, show me, Lord, and I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. Letting it go. First witness. Shall we sing, Peter? close. 2 Corinthians 5 1 to 5. Scripture talks about what Pastor Vijay was preaching today. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. The body we have now, the body we will receive then. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Honestly ask, is that what our groaning is for? Our groaning is not for our heavenly body. Our groaning is for our earthly body. Most of the groans, our complaints are connected with the earthly body. God says, people who belong to God, they are always longing for the other one because they know that's reality. Have you ever lived in a tent? At least Shamiana now will go downstairs. Does it keep the heat really away? Can it keep the rain away? 
Can it keep the wind away? Can it keep the dust away? Nothing. It's only exciting in pictures to live in a tent for one night. Scripture says this is like a tent. Doesn't matter how well you eat, what vitamins you take and how well you exercise, your teeth will fall off, your joints will creak, your hair will fall, your eyesight will only get worse and worse. There is no redemption for this body. Therefore we groan. All our miseries are connected with this, God says. We groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Next verse. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's the real life Christ is giving, the resurrection life. How do we know you have it? Verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. When you buy an apartment in this city, they will say it will be finished in 12 months. You pay a deposit. Because you have the slip of paper, you know one day that apartment is yours. So you keep on going every week to check out how the work is progressing. Why do you go in boldly? Because you know that's your home. God says, you know what? If he's put the spirit in you, that's a deposit of the dwelling you have. That's a deposit. It's called earnest deposit. Very earnestly God has put it there. His own spirit in us. And that is the spirit. Scripture says all of creation groans. Every human who is born of God groans. Even the spirit groans. Because the spirit, the man who is born again, and this creation knows this is not reality. Reality is up there. That's what resurrection did. Resurrection changed everything. Everything. Before resurrection, every man from Abel till John the Baptist was a conqueror. But ultimately death conquered them. When Alexander the great nation after nation after nation after nation fell before his army, he came conquered India too. Whatever was known of India. And finally he wept saying there is no more land for me to conquer. But death conquered him at 33. So you could conquer the whole world and still death conquered you until Jesus conquered death. When he conquered death, Ephesians 4 says, he took captivity captive. All the saints from Abel down, everybody was in the captivity of death. He took them captive and took them as a train to heaven. Death had no more power over the saints. Therefore in the new covenant, Paul says, to be absent in the body is to be present with God. Death has lost its power over God's people. The final enemy is gone. That's why we are a set of people rejoicing because every problem you are thinking of it, if it is not solved, ultimate, you die. Because what are you worried about? I've taken care of death. That's why we should be a people who sing. I was telling in the morning church, you know what? That is one thing that should define a believer. We know we are eternal, therefore we sing. We sing. Joy should be there manifested. The Philippi, my favorite chapter, as Pastor said, Acts chapter 16, they heard them 
in the midnight hour because resurrection power cannot be stopped. Your neighbor shouldn't hear you fighting. Your neighbor shouldn't hear you gossiping. Your neighbors across the road should not be hearing you playing Hindi music. They should hear you singing. Then their chains will come off. Because they will realize, how are these people able to sing? How come they always sing? How come they always have a song? The reason is, there is life within us which cannot be stopped. Don't make this into another religion. Faith has to be lived out. Live it out. Live it out. Genuinely live it out. That's why Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. They couldn't sing in Babylon. But when they came to Jerusalem, Nehemiah said, don't mourn, don't grieve, rejoice. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Shall we stand up? Father, this morning we just come to you as a redeemed people. Not redeemed by the blood of sheep or goats or bulls. Redeemed by the blood of your only begotten son. Redeemed by the blood. Born by the incorruptible seed, the word of God. And the spirit, your own spirit you have given into us as a deposit. Oh Father, we just thank you, we just thank you, we thank you Lord. You ask that woman, why do you seek the living among the dead? I pray Father, you would receive that same word into our hearts. That we are living people. When we go out tomorrow into the world, we will know we are among the dead. And we don't seek anything of the dead. We are only trying to give them this life you have given us. We don't find our joy in the dead world. We don't find our joy, our thrill, our happiness in the things of this world. Because we are living people. We find our joy in your word because your word is life. We find our joy in our prayer closet because we can speak to our living God. We find our joy when we come together as your people because you said when two or three gather in my name, I, the living God, will be in your midst. We will not search for the living among the dead. We will be found among the living of God. Because you have given us life, not ordinary life. You have given us life from above, your own life. Help us to value that life. Help us to protect that life. Help us like fire is fed, feed that life. That you will have a generation in these last days who will walk like the apostles walked on earth. And everywhere they went, they asked, what kind of manner of men are these? Help us to go through this day, through this week, through this month, manifesting the resurrection life of Christ Jesus. Nothing should dampen our spirits. Nothing should steal that joy. Nothing, Lord, nothing. Because the world did not give it, and therefore the world should not take it. Put a hedge of protection around your children. Order their footsteps. Guard their ears. Guard their eyes. When they are young, Lord, now, let them make a covenant with their eyes not to sin against you. 
Let them make a covenant with their ears not to listen to anything that is contrary to your scripture. Let them make a covenant in their heart. Let them purpose in their heart that they will not defile themselves. So that your life will grow in each one of us, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Go before us. Go before us, Lord. As Paul said, first I want to know you and your resurrection power. Go before us in that power and make those crooked paths straight. The rough road smooth. Fill those valleys. Pull down those strongholds so that your children can walk on level ground with God. And not alone. Never alone, Lord. Never alone. Because you rose again, we will never ever be alone again, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. There are no orphans here. There are no widows here. Nobody. Because we have a father in heaven who is with us. And we have a husband in heaven. And I pray your children will go in that strength. Thank you, Lord. Now by faith we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us until he comes to take us home. Amen.